0: Hi everybody, I need a little bit of grace this morning. I'm about to tell you that you have the coolest pastor in all of Bradenton. So my son, my only son, whom I love, back in February got himself a trampoline. And um, your pastor learned a very valuable lesson yesterday at about four, p.m. I am not as young as I used to be or think that I am. So um, I'm in a little bit of a world of hurt right now, and Sarah is so anxious to see me at Coastal Orthopedic tomorrow. Um, So if you could just kind of bear with me. I'm going to stand up in a second here and preach, but I'm just going to try to do this as gently as, as I can. So, we're going we're gonna to study Ephesians 1 today. If you have bought, brought a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to it. Let me pray for us, and we will study the Word this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us, as always, to do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So, back when 9-11 happened... There was a few weeks that went by, and then I had to board a, an international flight. I had to go to Mexico City. And I wasn't particularly worried about it, because I, I really felt like that was probably the safest that, that flying had been in a long time. So I I got ready to go to the airport, and what amazed me was how much the behavior of Americans, especially especially at airports, changed in the wake of such a really major event in our nation's history. There were some things that, that were really obvious, things that you would have looked for, like taking off your shoes and the sharp objects and, and liquids and, and things of that nature. But there were some other things that, that were happening at the airport at that time that were a little bit more, more subtle. Things like how people tried not to conspicuously look at, at people that had dark hair and dark eyes and, and darker skin. And everyone became a little less engaged in in friendly banter and and conversation. So what was happening was that on the outside, we had this great sense of of national unity. But on the inside, we had a general sense of, of distrust and concern towards one another. Now, things have changed over the years. There's been a lot of flights since then. But what we know for certain is that there will never be a moment... There will never be a moment when we will go back to the way that life was before 9-11. That will not happen. Now, we're going to get close, and they they keep relaxing a lot of the the flying rules, and and there's things that you can do now that you couldn't do 10 years ago. But we're never, ever, ever going to get back to exactly the way that it was on September 10th. Now, last week we had Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the resurrection is that exact moment in time where there's no going back. You can't go back to the way that it was before. The resurrection can't be undone. It can't be unseen. It can't be unspoken of. So today what I want to talk about is what should life for us look like on the other side of the resurrection? What do we do now? Well, if we believe that on Easter Jesus, Jesus died— and he defeated death, and then he rose from the dead, if we believe that he paid for our sins and that we bear the weight of those sins no more, then we have every reason to be people who live in hope. And you'll notice as you go through life that there are people who live in hope, and they live completely differently from those who have no hope. Living differently, it starts in your heart and your head, but eventually what happens is all that heart and head motion translates into your life and how you live your life and how you approach others and how you treat them. And it gets to a place where it actually becomes visible, where you don't have to go around telling people, oh, I go to church, I believe in Jesus. You don't have to say a word. They're going to know by the way that you live. So today I want us to talk about just one aspect, just one aspect of a life that is changed on this side of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the people of Ephesus. And and Paul, just so you know, he was the perfect stereotypical writer. He wrote exactly the conventions of the day. If he had to take one of those standardized writing tests that they give the kids, Paul would get it perfect because he was a standard bearer. So, in the part of the letter that we're going to look at today, we're going to hear Paul talk about the spiritual blessings that believers receive, and then what we have to do is we have to decide how we want to respond to those blessings. What are we going to do with the blessings that we have gotten from the resurrection? So, we're looking at life after Easter in response to what we're going to do with those blessings of the resurrection. Here's the start of the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just his introduction. It's me, Paul, writing to you guys in Ephesus. Greetings. Now he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Here's the blessings. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him—this is, is the blessing of Easter— in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with wisdom and insight. So, what Paul really wants the people of Ephesus to understand is that they've been adopted by God. They have been adopted by God through Jesus Christ. And this is a big deal. It's a very, very big deal because the early church, and even before the early church, and even the cultural. The cultural world itself at that time understood that adoption was just as important, just as legally and emotionally and spiritually binding as biological children. And as such, under Roman law, in fact, an adopted son or daughter enjoyed all of the same privileges as a biological one. Christ is God's son by nature. But we, as believers, are only so by our adoption and grace. And that's why it's important for us to understand that in that context of Roman law, they were seen as the same. Adopted or natural, they're the same. Jesus is natural, we are adopted, we are the same, we are co-heirs with Jesus. And this is why when we baptize in the Christian church, we say that if we have been baptized into Jesus— Then we are also baptized into his death. And since Jesus defeated death, and since Jesus is our brother in Christ, we too defeat death. And in this particular case, because of Jesus, we're redeemed. And not only have we been redeemed, but we are also forgiven. That's huge. That's huge. We were forgiven, not because we deserved it or because we were particularly awesome, but because by the grace of God, who has extraordinary love for us, we can be redeemed and forgiven. Now that might seem easy to you. Okay, so God loves us and he forgives us. But here's the thing. When you're looking for forgiveness, it's because something has gone wrong. And we call that something wrong sin. And let me assure you that sin costs something. It costs you something, and it costs the person that you sin against something. And there's always going to be a cost for somebody. So yes, God forgives us. But the cost of that, the, the payment for that forgiveness, was Jesus. There is a cost for you to be able to forgive others. And that's the part of the resur- post-resurrection life that I want us to talk about today. Now, recently in my own life, there has been a great loss, a, a great tragedy that I think will be burned into the brains of my children forever. Many, many years ago, I was given a very, very soft, very wonderful sleep shirt, and it is—it is a shirt that you specifically sleep in. It is not a t-shirt to wear for other occasions. You just sleep in it. And there was nothing particularly special about this shirt. In fact, it was gray. It was just always gray. And it was given to me by my first roommate in college, and I loved it. And that shirt Went with me all through college, all the way through grad school, all the way through my doctoral work. It studied abroad with me in London and in Mexico, and it went on mission trips all over this country and beyond. It was with me when I went to serve my first church, my second church, and now this church. It predates all three of my children and my husband. I love this shirt. Do we understand how much I love this shirt and how much it means to me? Well, about three weeks ago, <clears throat> my son, my only son whom I love, got a hold of my shirt. And it was so soft and so snugly that he started rubbing it with his fingers. And he's stretching out the shirt. And in, in the process of stretching out the shirt, he, he discovered this tiny little hole. And, and he stuck his finger through the hole. And what he discovered was that the hole got bigger. And, and so he's like, I wonder I wonder what happens if I pull on it some more. And, and he stretched it, and then little by little, the next thing I knew, he completely destroyed the shirt, making it impossible to ever wear again. Now, I have to say that upon discovering the complete and utter destruction of the one piece of clothing— that really, really means something to me, I must admit that forgiveness was not my first and foremost thought. Um, It really was not even my fifth or eighth most thought. But then, then we moved into Easter. And there's this part of the story of Holy Week that kind of just got shoved into my face. It's that moment that we often pass by, but it's that moment when they took Jesus's clothes. And those clothes, they were really the only material possessions that Jesus had. I have other things. Jesus had his clothes, and they took them, they stripped him of them, and then they gambled for them in front of his face. Now, my Peter, he didn't set out to destroy my beloved shirt. There was no malicious intent behind it. He didn't Relish its destruction, and he certainly did not do it in front of my face. But Jesus, Jesus, all those things happened to Jesus, and even in those moments of intentional sin, of intentional sin, Jesus still chose the cross. And he still chose forgiveness, and he still chose love, even at the expense of his life being brought to an end through torture. So then the question for me post-Easter is, if Jesus, the one who I claim to love and follow, would give up his life when his clothes are taken from him, how should I respond when such a thing happens to me? How How should you respond when somebody does something that hurts you or hurts someone that you love? Paul wrote, in him, him being Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with wisdom and insight. So when Jesus, when, when Jesus was faced with sin and transgression, he chose to forgive. And here's what we know. What we know on this side of Easter is that it all works out. It all works out. It is okay for you to forgive somebody. It doesn't mean that it won't be costly. It doesn't mean that it won't cost you something. But it is absolutely okay to do because the story of Easter is it's all gonna work out and there is going to be a moment of resurrection and redemption. So it is okay for you with a pure heart to be able to forgive. There's also a very important component to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and we have to hold on to that and embrace it if we're going to live as Easter people. And that has to do with relationships. When they took his clothes and Jesus didn't fight back, he chose relationship. He chose people over things, over everything. And that's consistent with how Jesus lived his entire earthly life. He chose people, and he made choices and decisions with people, not things, in mind. And that's the larger story of God. From the beginning, God chose people. He chose you. He wants a relationship with us. And that's how we got to Easter in the first place. Because God so loved us that he gave up his only son for us. God gave up his only son. So surely I can give up an old gray shirt with all of its memories for my child and the relationship that I have with my son. There's a story that's told by a professor, preacher named Kenan Callahan, and he was sailing down in the Florida Keys. And as his sailboat approached the beach, he, he looked over the side, and he noticed that the water appeared to be only about two feet deep. So he picked up the anchor, and he jumped over the side— only to discover that it was more like 20 feet deep. So sinking rapidly, the thought crossed his mind. Let go of the anchor. Let go. Many things in life are going to weigh us down. Some of them are of our own choosing. Some are given to us. Some are appropriate for us to hang on to. And yet sometimes, sometimes we hang on when we have got to let go. The word that, that's translated as forgive in the New Testament has this sense of it. It's, it has a sense of letting go, of a releasing, of, of sending away. The idea being that, that when you're wronged, you hold both the injury and the offender to yourself. So imagine me jumping over the side of a boat, holding on to Peter as we go, because I can't let go of that sin. You suffer doubly when you suffer the wrong that is done to you, and then you hold on to that resentment. So here we are post-Easter. And what I want you to think about is, honestly, has has there been someone in your life that has done something to you, something to someone that you love, to another person, and you continue, for whatever reason, to hold it against them? And thus hold on to what causes you to sink. A, a real letting go is going to be an act of grace. When, when you, at your own expense of mind, heart, and will, just let go, you release the other person. We receive the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of Jesus' grace. At his expense, Jesus released us on Good Friday, and then he lived on Easter. Is there a person that that you need to forgive post-Easter? Let it go. Let him go. Let her go and live. Let me pray for us. Holy and gracious God, we confess that our memories are long, our forgiveness is short. Help us to understand that the cost of forgiveness is nothing compared to what you paid to forgive us our sins. And as we seek to follow you, help us to start that journey by just doing one simple step at a time. That first step being to forgive those who have trespassed against us. In your name we pray. Amen.